0: I am preaching for Bernie Bible Church without a coat and tie. First time ever in like 25 years or something like that. So I hope you'll have mercy on me, those of you that are watching, and not be too upset. I had to walk 10 miles today in the ice, through the woods, actually only one mile. And Pastor and I put cardboard down and we slid all the way down. y'all miss that? <laughs> no, we walked through the woods, off the pavement, so we wouldn't fall. We were good. We're going to be in Matthew 9 this morning, and um, yeah, so you can turn there in your Bibles, and I'll pray, we'll start. Lord, I thank you, God, for your grace and mercies toward us. Thank you that you love us, and you are good in all that you do, and all your ways. And I pray that as we look at your Word, that we would just learn more of you and your ways, and that we would just thank you, God, from our whole being for who you are and and your love for us and your compassions and your mercies. In Christ's name, amen. Yeah, so um, obviously we couldn't get to Bernie today. Things are so bad out here in comfort that um, uh, we can't even drive around the circle, the loop here, our paved loop, without sliding off. Literally, Mark got stuck with his truck trying to just drive around so the guys don't drive today at all. Can't go down off our big hill because we would end up in the Guadalupe River or someplace. And so and the bridge is actually shut on our property here. We can't even use the bridge. So we thought it'd be good to just live stream from his hill. Um, Matthew 9 is going to be our text, but there's a verse that kind of goes along with this. And Matthew 9 is as we're going to see is largely about compassion. And um in, Matthew, in Proverbs, um, I'll get it out sooner or later. Proverbs 12, this would happen when you walk so much in the cold weather, your lips don't work. Matthew 12, verse 10, it says, a righteous, Matthew 12, Proverbs 12, verse 10, a righteous man has regard for the life of his beast, but the compassion of the wicked is cruel. Isn't that an interesting verse? The righteous man has regard for the life of his beast. So we get all this cold weather and neighbors call up and say, are you taking care of your horses? And somebody called the office the other day. We're concerned about that German Shepherd we see up the road, my German Shepherd. And um, I love my German Shepherd. Tried to give him away a couple of weeks ago, but that's, <laughs> but I'd like to think that I'm not cruel to our dog. And so I've been waiting and knowing the dog can handle, you know, 30 degree weather, fine. The dog likes 30-degree weather. He, he has this blanket around him called fur, and, um, and he really likes it. But once it gets down into the single digits, that's a little cold. And so I would have no hesitancy moving the dog into the garage, but the dog's going to tear everything up in the garage. And so that's not fun. I know he would rather be outside as long as we can keep him warm. So... It's a good thing we don't have any neighbors to film what goes on at the McCall house, because yesterday I went out to the house, to, and I got a piece of carpet. And I have, I've had a piece of carpet for the last few days in the dog's house, and he keeps dragging it out because he doesn't like it in his house. And so I'm thinking, I'm being compassionate. I'm thinking about you. Keep the carpet in. It's going to get colder. So I think i got nail to the, nail the thing down. And that means I need to cut it to fit a little better. That means I have to get in the (laughs) doghouse. So glad this wasn't on film. So I crawled in the doghouse with with utility knife and hammer and nails. And as I'm trying to cut this carpet, the dog thinks, oh, this is fun. (laughs) And so the dog is in the doghouse with me. But I'm having compassion on the life of my beast. <laughs> so I had, it was not easy getting the dog out of the doghouse. It's not a big doghouse. So that I can cut the carpet and get it nailed. And so finally I get him out. So what's he doing? He's running away with my tools, because I don't have all the tools. <laughs> to so he runs away with the box cutter, he runs away with the nails we were having a happy day.
1: <laughs> and all
0: the while, I'm trying to be compassionate with my animal because I'm a righteous man. <laughs> and I have regard for the life of my beast. Now, Matthew 9, as I've said, is, is largely about um, compassion, both in what Christ is teaching and in the miracles that he's performing. So we're looking at at Matthew with the first-year students here at His Hill, and this is where we are. We've just started Matthew 9, and I pointed out to them, this is not my observation, others have made this observation, that we're at a section in Matthew chapters 8 and 9 where Jesus is establishing his authority to heal, his authority to save, his authority to cast out demons, uh, his authority to calm storms. He has authority over anything and everything in this created world. And so what Matthew has done is he'll take three miracles that demonstrate his authority, then he'll take a break and talk about what it means to walk with Jesus, discipleship. Three more miracles, another sectional discipleship. Three more miracles, another sectional discipleship. So that's his pattern through here. But not only do these miracles demonstrate Christ's authority, but they also demonstrate, as we would expect, his compassion. Because not only is he king, But he's a good king. He's really a good king. And so he doesn't exercise his authority in a despotic way. He's not a dictator. He's not not lacking in compassion. He's not cruel. He's not vindictive. He is a good, merciful king. And these miracles demonstrate that. And so the last miracles uh, of the previous section end in verse 8 of chapter 9. And then in chapter 9 of Matthew 9, verse 9 of chapter 9, is another uh, section on discipleship. Well, this is where he's calling Matthew. And we'll start there, Matthew 9.9. 9. And as Jesus passed on from there, he saw a man called Matthew sitting in the tax office. And he said to him, and that's amazing in itself, and he even spoke to him follow me and he rose and followed him now what we know about tax gatherers is that they were considered traitors and when you took a job as a tax gatherer it was probably the last job you'd ever have because nobody else was ever going to hire you after that and so when he leaves to follow jesus he was truly leaving everything behind So you get a job as a tax gatherer, you're going to keep it for life. One, because it was very lucrative, and the other is because, again, it makes you unemployable. Nobody ever wants to have you work for this, Because the tax gatherer can set the tax rates basically whatever you wanted. So the Romans had a tax rate, and the tax gatherers could set it higher and take the profits. And they would hire goons, basically, to help enforce that so they could just just beat it out of you, literally, to get the money that they wanted. And so they're working for the Roman government against the Jewish people. Absolute despised. They were right down there in the Jewish um, hierarchy. They were down at the bottom with prostitutes and Gentiles. And Jesus says, follow me. Now that is obviously an act of mercy and compassion. And nobody else would even talk to the man. And Jesus says, I want you with me. And so then he goes and has dinner with a bunch of tax gatherers. And it happened, verse verse 10, that he was reclining at table in the house. This would be the house of probably Matthew. Behold, many tax gatherers and sinners came and joined Jesus and his disciples at the table. And when the Pharisees saw this, they said to his disciples, Why does your teacher eat with tax gatherers and sinners? But when he heard this, he said, It is not those who are healthy who need a physician, but those who are ill. But go and learn what this means. I desire compassion and not sacrifice, for I did not come to call the righteous, but sinners. So let me just come back to that because this is going to be the kind of controlling thought I think for really everything that's going to follow from here and so now in verse 14 it says then the disciples of John came to him saying why do you and the Pharisees fast but your disciples do not fast Jesus said to them the attendants of the bridegroom cannot mourn as long as the bridegroom is with them can they but the days will come when the bridegroom is taken away from them and then they will fast but no one puts a patch of unshrunk cloth on an old garment, for the patch pulls away from the garment and, the, and a worse tear results. Nor do men put new wine into old wineskins, otherwise wineskins burst and the wine pours out and the wineskins are ruined, but put, they put new wine into fresh wineskins and both are preserved. What is that all about? Well, most of the time when people look at this new wineskins, old wineskins, new wine, old wine, they're talk, they, they think that Jesus is is focused on a new kingdom and a new message that he's bringing and that would certainly be true but in the immediate context here it's about sacrifice and compassion and that on its face seems to be because jesus put it in an either or go and learn what this means i desire compassion and not sacrifice it seems that it's put it in either or it's either compassion or sacrifice but i don't think jesus is saying that I think what he's after, and we're going to dig into this a little more, is that is that sacrifice ought to be motivated by compassion, and, what, and I'll show you what I mean by that in a minute. And so there is a consistency here; there ought to be. And so, but the way that the Pharisees have approached this whole whole thing of 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 sacrifice is that that's the main thing, and they've stripped out of their sacrifice loving kindness, mercy compassion. And so Jesus is coming and says, new wine and new wineskins. Lots of times today we hear people say, especially those that are more on the progressive side of Christianity, I'm not interested in changing the wine, I just want to change the wineskins. We need to keep the content the same, Jesus, but let's just change the way we do things. And they'll appeal to this, new wineskins for, for, the, for the new wine, they're getting it backwards because that's not what Jesus is saying Jesus is saying new wineskins new wine, but what the progressives are saying, old wine, new wineskins, and Jesus is saying you can't do that, so Jesus came to give new content, new wine and new form Okay, it's both, and the church that's why again I think there's such a powerful argument that that, that the church is not in the Old Testament because we have a new wine with a new form and the new form is the church but in the immediate context here it's the new line is compassion with a form that is that is sacrificial but but there's no inconsistency here i'll show you that in a second so there's some more miracles verse 18 and while he was saying these things to him behold there was a synagogue official came that had to be hard The synagogue officials, like the Pharisees, would have been among the last people to come and ask Jesus for help. But this man is desperate. In fact, he's so desperate that his daughter is at the point of death, according to a corresponding um, synoptic gospel. But in this one, when Matthew jumps in on the scene, she's already dead. So the synagogue official says, my daughter has just died. So this is a desperate man who goes, I have no reason not to go to Jesus now. My daughter has just died, but come and lay your hand on her, and she will live. And Jesus got up out of compassion, and he's going to go to this man. But while he's still trying to get to his house, and he's got a whole mob of people around him, a woman who had been suffering from a hemorrhage for 12 years, and by the way, the girl who died was also 12 years old, came up behind him and touched the fringe of his coat, And she was saying to herself, if only I touch his garment, I shall get well. Well, that's superstitious. It is. It's just pure superstition. And yet, Jesus still heals her as compassion. Nobody else can heal this woman. She's bankrupt herself trying to find healing. She's gone to every doctor she can think of. All they've done is take her money, and she's no better off. And so Jesus heals her. And he knew immediately, as soon as his, his garment was touched, he felt the power go out of him. And and he, and he and he said, Who who touched me? And the disciples are gonna go, What are you talking about? You got all these people pressing in on you, and you're asking who touched you? And he finds the woman. And he goes, Tell me what happened. And she tells her story. I've been, been bleeding for twelve years, I've gone to every doctor I can think of, nobody can help me. And I touched you, and I was healed. And Jesus had compassion on her. And in the meanwhile. <clears throat> this dead girl and a father who just is is so distraught because you're, are you kidding me? That you're going to stop and deal with her when I've got a daughter that needs to be raised from the dead. And Jesus did both. Verse 27. And it says, And Jesus passed on there, and two blind men followed him, crying out and saying, Have mercy on us. Mercy compassion same idea have mercy on a son of David and after he had come into the house the blind men came to him so they must have been helped along the way so there Jesus is in the house the two blind men come in and and he said and Jesus said to them do you believe that I am able to do this and they said to him yes Lord then he touched their eyes and saying be it done to you according to your faith so the faith and then the healing there's faith and then salvation. And the motivation? Mercy. Compassion. And their eyes were open. And Jesus sternly warned them, saying, See here, let no one know about this. Now that didn't sound compassionate. Why wouldn't Jesus say, Spread the word? But he didn't. He said, Don't tell anybody. And they did anyway. They told people. But that seems to be doing now that's i'm starting to think do i really understand compassion when jesus is not saying spread the word when he could have healed everybody he didn't heal everybody there were many more people left sick during jesus ministry he did not heal everybody in israel and then he even wanted people to not come doesn't sound compassionate verse 32 and as they were going out behold a dumb man meaning he can't speak, demon-possessed, was brought to him. Now, the significance of this is that the is that the Pharisees, the religious people at the time, um, they believed that the only way to cast a demon out of a person was you had to have the demon speak his name. And so you'd say, demon, what is your name? And then you would say, using his name, leave. Well, if the person can't speak, then how are you going to know the demon's name, and how are you going to get the demon out of it? So nobody ever cast demons out of somebody who couldn't speak. And so Jesus cast the demon out without the person speaking the demon's name. So after the demon was cast out, the dumb man spoke, and the multitudes marveled, saying nothing like this has ever been seen in Israel. But the Pharisees were saying, he cast out demon by the ruler of the demon. See, no compassion there. They didn't even care about the man who got healed. The man whose demons is the demons taken out. Now he can speak. They could care less. Interesting. They don't deny the miracle took place. And skeptics should know that Jesus' enemies did not deny the validity of the miracles that were taking place. They just didn't care, and they were much more concerned about their own truth, as it were, than about compassion for the people. And Jesus was going about all the cities and villages, teaching in their synagogues, and proclaiming the gospel of the kingdom, and healing every kind of disease and every kind of sickness. But he didn't heal all of them. And seeing the multitudes, he felt compassion for them. And this is a different word than earlier. And I'm going to get to that. But this word means a strong inner stirring. This is where it's gut-wrenching. You see, and you just go. Oh my word! You just you, somebody needs to do something. This is this is the kind of compassion that tears your insides out, and that's what he was feeling for the people because they were distressed and downcast like sheep without a shepherd. Distressed and downcast. Do a little homework on this, and 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 those two words are a perfect passive participle. Now what that means is, it's not their fault, it's passive. Other people did this to them. And the word distressed here is the word that would be used for just just like somebody's been flogged. It it means to be torn in pieces, it means to be ragged, it just they're just frayed. And it's because of what others have done to them. Downcast, because of other people's oppression and, and 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 there's no liberty, there's no life in what they're getting from the Pharisees and the religious leaders. Their religion is oppressive, it's not liberating. They were like sheep without a shepherd. And then Jesus says to the disciples, The harvest is plentiful, but the workers are few, therefore beseech the Lord of the harvest to send out workers into the harvest. Now I do not claim to be an expert on compassion. My family would tell you. I am not an expert in compassion. Mm -hmm. Um, The gift of mercy is not my gift. Not to say that I have not ever been merciful and compassionate, but it is not the strong, compelling motivation of my heart. In fact, I don't think it exists between um, any of my brothers and myself uh, because we never really showed a lot of compassion to each other. Mm And I, I can give you story after story of where we were not compassionate with each other. I remember one time I had this huge sore on the top of my ear, and right where my glasses sit, so it was constantly being irritated. And I was living with my younger brother once in Arkansas one summer, and we were sharing the same house. And 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 I and I and I said, I just, I need you to look at this thing. I can't see it even, but it's just, it's killing me. And he goes, really? Let me see it. So I take my glasses off. And I and I'm just trying to pull my ear down. And and he goes, I can't see it. Charlie, pull it a little further. A little further. It's just killing me. And little do I know, he's loosening up his finger. He's a little further, a little further. He goes, pow! And 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 thumps me with that with his finger as hard as he can. I almost passed out. (laughs) And he's laughing. and that's what brothers do each other. We do not practice compassion very well. So, when I read about compassion here, it, I take an interest, because I know this is a subject I need to learn about. So, going back to verse 13. But go and learn what this means. I desire compassion and not sacrifice. For I did not come to call the righteous but sinners seems very straightforward. We ought to be concerned for the sick. We ought to be concerned for sinners. And not just dismiss them, not just say, you know, not be uncaring, but truly caring, truly empathetic for those that don't know Jesus, obviously. How can you have God in you who loves this world and not love this world. I'm not talking about the world system, but the people of this world. That God gave His Son for the unrighteous, for those who are His enemies. He felt compassion, and He was moved to do something about it. And the same heart ought to be reflective in each of us. That much is clear. When I had never troubled myself to do and maybe you're like me is to look up where this quote comes from in the old testament because it's an old testament quote That's why it's in all capital letters i desire compassion and not sacrifice so you look in your margin and it says hosea 6:6. huh well that's already interesting and so let's go over to hosea chapter 6 and see what it says right after the book of daniel Instead of starting at verse 6, let's start at verse 1. Come, let us return to the Lord, for He has torn us, but He will heal us. He has wounded us, but He will bandage us. Wow. The passage that talks about compassion says that God tears people up and wounds them. and I'm beginning to think I really don't understand compassion you see we often think that compassion is never wanting people to suffer doing everything we can to stop all suffering and here's where it really really hits the road when we come across those hard sayings in scripture and Jesus has a lot of hard sayings Oswald Chambers says if you've never heard Jesus say the hard things, I question whether you've ever heard him say anything. Hard things. Like narrow is the way that leads to life. Narrow is the gate and few are those who enter therein. That it is impossible to be saved apart from him. I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father apart from me. That is a hard thing. And it doesn't contradict compassion. And here the same God who heals tears up. The same God who bandages is the God who caused the wound. No contradiction. Verse 3. So let us know, let us press on to know the Lord. His going forth is as certain as the dawn, and he will come to us like the rain, like the spring rain watering the earth. Now look at verse 4. But what shall I do with you, O Ephraim? What shall I do with you, O Judah? For your loyalty is like a morning cloud, like a dew which goes away early. Therefore, look at verse 5, I have hewn them in pieces by the prophets. I have cut them up into pieces. I have slain them by the words of my mouth. And the judgments on you are like the light that goes forth. For I delight in loyalty rather than sacrifice, and in the knowledge of God rather than burnt offerings. You see the change? This is the quote. Is compassion mentioned? No. In place of the word compassion is the word loyalty, which is one of the major words of the whole Old Testament. In Hebrew it's hesed, and it means covenant faithfulness. Or it's often translated loving kindness or just simply loyalty. And now we're starting to get at the heart of what this is about. So when Jesus says to the Pharisees, I desire compassion and not sacrifice, and he's quoting from this verse. It's already powerful. They knew he's quoting from Hosea. And you, you go, okay, put this in the context of Hosea. What did God say to do? Marry a prostitute right and then she's going to play the prostitute and you're going to be faithful to her no matter what she does and and Hosea apparently even has to buy her off the auction block after he already married her in order to get her back and he was nothing but faithful to this woman so was he exercising compassion toward her you better believe it why because of the bond of marriage, because of the covenant faithfulness that that bond created. He was supposed to be to be absolutely committed to his wife no matter what. Even if she plays the prostitute, even if she's standing naked on a slave block. You go, that's my wife and I'm going to take her back. Loyalty. In the Old Testament. In the New Testament, Jesus is translating it compassion. And did that compassion or loyalty cost Hosea? Cost him everything. Sacrifice. So you see, it's not an either or. In in Hosea's life, that compassion that he demonstrated toward his wife, Gomer, was not compassion versus sacrifice. It was a compassion that counted the cost, a, a compassion that said, I will sacrifice everything for this one that I am in covenant relationship with. So as I was reading and studying on this, I looked up one of the authorities on, on New Testament, Old Testament words, and he made these observations. He says that the, the Greek word that Jesus is using in Matthew 9 is the word elios many times it's translated mercy. But it says in the Old Testament, Elias is, um, is normally represented as, as the Hebrew word hesed. And it's that hesed which is so significant in the Old Testament. 400 times, Elias is the trans word, the Greek word used for hesed when the, when the Old Testament is translated in the Greek. Says this these Hebrew concepts betray a completely different background of thought from the predominantly psychological one in Greek. So see, we think of mercy and compassion, we think of the emotions of it, the psychology of it. And so he says, that is not what Jesus is stressing. It includes that, but that is not the emphasis. What Jesus is stressing is the is the obligation, the obligation of a covenant. So he says hesed means proper covenant behavior, the solidarity with the partners in the covenant that the, co- that the partners in the covenant owe one another. The covenant may be between equals or it may be made by one who is stronger than his partner in it. In either case, it may result in giving help to the other in his need. So the connotation of elios, meaning hesed, may stretch from loyalty to a covenant to kindness, mercy, and pity. In other words, if you've got different people that need your help, and one of them is your child, and the other one is is, the, is is somebody that you barely know, who are you going to give the priority to? Your own child, because of the of the obligation you have to your own family, and so this kind of compassion is to be is to arise out of a sense of obligation that we have, and we have an obligation first and foremost, to our families, secondly, to the church, the body of Christ, but also to this world. So it's not just waiting for emotions, is what I'm trying to say. But it's the obligation of a covenant that should move me. But even if I'm not being moved emotionally, I need to act. And it will bring sacrifice. I think it's it's powerful that Jesus is quoting from Hosea of all places when he says, I desire compassion and not sacrifice. Because when people are facing difficult things now, when they have a vow perhaps they've made, marriage or otherwise, and it's costing them to fulfill their vow, Well-meaning Christians come along and say, don't you know, God desires compassion and not sacrifice. And if you're one of the people on the other side who says, God wants you to be faithful to your vows, those same well-meaning Christians would say, that's not compassionate. That's not compassionate. What did that passage in Proverbs say? The compassion of the wicked man is cruel. See, there ought to be a sense of a covenant obligation that a, that a woman would have to her own child. You can't care for that life. You should terminate that pregnancy. Because you know you can't care for that child. That would be the compassionate thing to do. And the compassion of the wicked is cruel. Those same people would have regard for their beasts, for their animals, but think of compassion to end a child's life while yet in the mother's womb. Sacrifice on behalf of another. Instead, the emphasis is on my needs, my happiness, my welfare. I thought about starting a series, it's now that we finished Acts at Bernie Bible Church, I'm not going to do this, but thought about start, starting a series on verses that are not in your Bible. Um, one would be God wants me happy. Where do you get that? God desires compassion and not sacrifice. And my life is just too hard. Surely God wants me to have a way of escape. I understand this is the same God from where Jesus is quoting from in Hosea, beginning in verse 1 of chapter 6. He has torn us. He has wounded us. He has flayed us. But he also binds up the wound that he's caused. How can I go to Scripture and think, that compassion means there will not be sacrifice. That compassion should motivate me to, to engage with the sacrifice and to count the cost of the sacrifice. But Compassion doesn't mean that God takes away the pain that is in my life. Sometimes He causes the pain that is in my life out of compassion. I've I've made reference to the movie before, and I don't even know if you can get it anymore, but it just made such a profound impact on me when I saw it. I wasn't expecting where it was going to go. And it's a movie made a long time ago called The Chosen about an Orthodox Jewish family and a uh, conservative Jewish family. And they are, in many respects, miles apart. But there was a boy, um, only son from both families, same age, two boys, same age. The boy from the Orthodox Jewish family, where his father was a rabbi, was absolute genius, absolutely genius, and extremely athletic. He may have just been gifted in every single way. But he was missing in one thing: empathy, compassion, Zero. And his father, loving him with all of his heart, saw it and was very, very concerned. And so his father didn't ever tell him, told him, did not ever tell him why until he was on his deathbed. But his father quit speaking to his son. He hurt him. Hurt him deeply. So from the time the boy was about 12, 13, 14 years old, until he was, I think he was in the movie, he was in his 20s, the father never spoke another word to him. would always speak through another person. And even on his deathbed, he had his best friend, the boy's best friend, and the father was talking to the best friend rather than talking to his son, With both boys sitting by his deathbed. And the boys just crying. and says, Dad, what did I do? Why did you stop speaking to me? And this old man says, I saw greatness in you. I saw giftedness that I've never seen in any human being. But I also saw it had no compassion, no empathy. And I knew you had the potential of being a monster. You have to learn compassion. And so I had to hurt you in order for you to learn compassion. It's a powerful story. And so when I read this now, where Jesus says, I desire compassion and not sacrifice, I don't think I'll ever read it again without Hosea in mind, because that's where it comes from. It changes everything. I found an article that I won't go into, but it's it's particularly about the subject of, should I, as a Christian, attend a same-sex union? And I just came across that, and I thought, it fits exactly with this subject matter. Because how is it compassionate not to go? And this author says, Jesus did associate with the so-called Uh, Jesus did associate with sinners when so-called righteous folks objected. That's right here in Matthew 9. Jesus was associating with the sinners, right? And all the so-called righteous were objecting. But then this author says this, But in all these interactions with sinners, Jesus never participated in their sin. He never approved of their sin. He said, Go and sin no more. And his goal was to save the sinners from their sins. Sinners were drawn to Jesus, not because they felt he approved of their sin, but because they saw him as a savior even for them. I think we lose that sometimes in our emphasis on compassion. Remember, Jesus had great gut-wrenching, heart-torn compassion for others. That's a different word than the one here where he says, I desire compassion rather than sacrifice, but it's still synonyms and they are both true of Jesus. The scripture says, let love be without hypocrisy, abhor what is evil, cling to what is good. Real love does not give approval to what is evil, but it clings to what is good. Appearing to approve of evil when you really don't approve is hypocrisy, and this text tells us that true love cannot be hypocritical. Those who know you are a Christian and disapprove of same-sex marriage will very quickly conclude that your presence at a same-sex union ceremony is hypocritical. Your actions don't confirm don't conform to your profession. Jesus had very strong words of rebuke for the scribes and Pharisees because they were hypocrites. Compassion, but never participating in a sin. Seeking to have people delivered from their sin. So in conclusion, Jesus is compassionate in his power and authority. He is a good king who has compassion. He's not just just authoritative. He is good and merciful. He has compassion and power to call people to Himself, to heal the broken, to raise the dead, to deliver the demon-possessed, and to deliver from darkness and sin. Compassion, as Christ is describing it, is a constant. It's not something that's just stirred emotionally. Again, it is rooted in the covenant. So no matter how I feel, I sense a covenant obligation toward my family, toward the church, and even toward the people of this world. I am obligated to them, and I should move on their behalf whether I feel it or not. It is constant. It is driven by commitment to those in covenant with me. It is gut-wrenching. It rips the heart, yet it is not contradicted by not healing On every single occasion, Jesus didn't always heal. On one occasion, when they came to him after he'd fed them, he says, All you want is your belly's full. There are other times he said, Get in a boat and let's leave these people behind. And he didn't heal them. This kind of compassion is not contradicted by inflicting pain and hurt when necessary. Proverbs says that the father who loves his child disciplines him and the father who does not love his child does not discipline him. So a loving father is going to inflict discipline and discipline is painful. He loves his child. He's compassionate toward his child, but he's willing to hurt him. People have great needs, all kinds of needs. It is overwhelming. One thing that you'll see as you get older in life is just how many needs there are. Christ saw it all. It can be, if we let it, it can be truly overcoming, paralyzing. But he says at the end of chapter 9, he saw people that were distressed and downcast. The greatest need that people have is for a shepherd. And he said, pray that God would send more workers, more laborers into the harvest to participate with Christ in shepherding people, in helping the downcast and the distressed, not adding to their their burden and their pain, but like a good shepherd wanting to see people come out of it. But they need Jesus. They don't need, all people's circumstances are not all going to go away when they come to Jesus. But they need Jesus. We cannot alleviate all people's sufferings. We should try, but we can't do it. But what people need more than anything else is a shepherd. And he says, pray that God will send laborers, workers into the arms who will help people come to Jesus and see their most basic need met." pretty tough to pray that God sends laborers in the harvest without allowing God to stir your own heart. And one of the reasons you all are here, whether you realize it or not, is that God's wanting to raise up laborers for his harvest. And I know that's one of the things that, that probably all of us in torchbearers are praying for with the students that God entrusts to us each year, is that out of these student bodies, God would raise up many, be laborers in arms. People who are moved by not just emotion as good as it is but moved by a sense of obligation covenant faithfulness and who above all else want to see people know Jesus who is the healer of our souls, and that's compassion. I'll pray and then we'll have another song. Lord Jesus I thank you for your Your ways that you are compassionate, merciful, and good, full of loving kindness, and your mercies never cease. But God, so many of these words go back to that, just that most basic concept of your covenant faithfulness. And I thank you, God, that you are absolutely faithful and true to us. And at times that means hurting us. So that we will come to you to be bandaged and healed and I thank you God that these ways too are good and I pray that we would become increasingly Lord moved by your heart the emotions of it but also God the the loyalty and the covenant faithfulness that that would be the main thing Lord your work in us to be true to you so that no matter what the sacrifice what the cost God that we would live true to you is our first covenant obligation. Higher than family, church, or this world, There our obligation before you to remain in unbroken devotion, to walk with you in faith and obedience. In Jesus' name.